It's time for Spotlight on KRWC. Our first Tuesday of the month just happens to be the first day of the month of February this month as well. And on the first Tuesday, we reserve time to uh, get a monthly update from District 877 Superintendent Dr. Scott Tillman, who joins us here on this uh, first of February today. Scott, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, great to be here, Tim. The winter has been kind of a cold one, but we haven't. We've been pretty fortunate without too many uh, problems with uh, cancellations or anything, at least so far, anyway. Yeah, it's been real close. Uh, just as a reminder, the school district uh, utilizes the um, the National Weather Service's wind chill chart, and um, we um, will we usually close. Um, depending on what is predicted for the weather weather pattern, um, but um, if it's a, a ten minute uh, uh, frostbite time, um, we will close because um, students can't walk to school within that time frame. And um, uh, so we always are checking that wind chill chart. It's out there on the website um, uh, on the National Weather Services website. And um, so if people are wondering, you can take a look at uh, the temperature as it intersects with the wind speed and it comes up with the, the uh, wind chill. Um, and then they also put together a, a chart that um, indicates frostbite time. So a 30-minute, a 10-minute, and a 5-minute. So um, if there's little wind and very low temperature, it usually stays, you can go as high as, um, or as low as uh, 46 below zero. If there's five degrees or, or five uh, mile per hour winds or less, um, you can still have a 30 minute frostbite time. It's when that wind picks up and uh, that sometimes will drop that, um, that temperature down. Uh, quickly. So uh, usually it's around that 45 degree below uh, wind chill mm -hmm. um, that crosses over into that 10 minute yeah. period. Kind of strange how we've, uh, well, been lucky because we've certainly had some cold days there. I remember one yeah. 24 below zero, and then last mm -hmm. week we had, I think, uh, 18 and a 15 below. But it seems yeah. like each time it's dropped down there, we've had very little, if any, wind, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's. Over my career, 20 years uh, as a school superintendent, um, it that seems to be what happens. When it gets that cold, the winds kind of drop down mm -hmm. uh, into that area. So, um, yeah, we, as we, your listeners heard right before we came on, uh, Thursday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, Wednesday evening and Thursday might be pretty cold. Yep. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. A lot, lot to cover here today. We want to start with a legislative forum that you had recently. Yeah. Um, annually, we held a legislative forum. And, um, due to the pandemic, we didn't have one last year. So we, we gathered back together uh, this year on January 19th here at Discovery uh, Elementary School in their auditorium, in the auditorium. And um, it's a, a collaborative with um, uh, 14 school districts that um, are in Wright. Well, there's 10 in, in Wright County, but it also includes Carver, Meeker, and Sherburne counties. Um, we go as far as uh, Big Lake and uh, Elk River. And then um, to the south, um, we go 
go down to Watertown Mayor, um, Annandale, Dassel, Cocado, Howard Lake, Waverly, Winstead, Monticello, Delano, uh, Rockford, Becker, uh, Litchfield, um, because they're part of uh, um, Masico, which is Meeker and Wright uh, Special Education Co-op, and then St. Michael, Albertville, Buffalo, Hanover, Montrose, Maple Lake. Um, and within that, we invite all of the um, state uh, senators and representatives to come in and um, we talk about um, issues that are related to education. But what makes this um, legislative forum unique is that we have um, our city council members or mayors. We invite all of those um, uh, mayors and city council members and city administrators, as well as obviously the school board members and superintendents. Um, we also had uh, some teacher representatives uh, in attendance, and we had a student speak this year. And really what it, it, it's uh, boiling down to is that uh, cities are impacted um, by the strength of their schools, and strong schools um, uh, is linked to strong communities. And we talk about in these legislative forums um, the funding inequity that exists in the state of Minnesota. And what happens is um, school districts that have um, high property wealth, they have commercial industrial properties, um, they pick up the lion's share of the the property taxes. And um, in Wright County, um, we don't have a a Cargill or a Medtronic or General Mills or Target headquarters or things like that. And so we don't consequently don't have a lot of the um, the com high commercial industrial properties. We have um, households. And um, what ends up happening is that school districts um, that are looking to supplement their um, their finances and their and their um, uh, funds often end up having to pass an operating referendum, and when that happens, those school districts in um, in uh, areas that have high pr uh, vo uh, volume or um, property wealth with commercial industrial property um, end up. Uh, having to, they pay less than uh, school districts that have um, uh, just uh, homes, uh, households. And so um, what ends up happening is, like in the Buffalo-Hanover-Montrose area, um, we are um, paying uh, two times the effort that... Um, a school district uh, in, say, um, St. Louis Park is paying. And so um, they are benefiting from um, the equalization aid, is what they call it. Um, they benefit um, from having those commercial industrial properties. And the equalization aid is, to, uh, is meant to uh, equalize the inequities that are, that happen throughout the state. Problem is, is that it hasn't been adjusted. 
in uh, since 2013. And prior to that, it was like 1991. And um, when that happens, um, school districts get very little aid, uh, equity aid, and um, and and it takes uh, more effort. And then what ends up happening is that um, their students have less options. And, um, you know, when times get tough, the school districts that have the commercial industrial property um, can, you know, they might cut their fourth or fifth language or they might cut um, one of their um, uh, many band or choir options versus uh, other school districts uh, who don't have that commercial industrial property base um, are cutting their main uh, band program or choir program, um, or they're they're cutting down to just one foreign language, and so um, those are just a few of the examples. You could take a look at your um, technical education classes. They might not have automotives, or they might not have woods. Uh, they might only have one option for those students. And so that was um, that conversation. And then um, the city administrators uh, help us with um, a presentation. And um, this year it was Clay Wilforth from, um, from the um, city of Big Lake. And just pointing out how um, property values... Um, in uh, he took the the city of Corcoran. Uh, they had a comprehensive plan that was laid out, and uh, city of Corcoran serves Buffalo, Osseo, uh, Rockford, Wyzetta, and a little bit of Delano in their in their area. And when you take a look at um, Wyzetta School District, makes up probably a tenth of their overall uh, um, city um, uh, property and uh, city limits. And 94% of the residential growth occurs in the Wyzetta area. Um, And primarily it's due to um, the, the operating referendum and the options that students have. Parents will move to... Uh, communities that have um, great schools, and we think that the schools in Wright County are fantastic, but we don't have the options that um, some of the uh, school districts that are closer to the metro that have the large commercial industrial properties have. And so um, that was an example of that. Um, There was another example of just in the city of Maple Grove, there is a very small, probably one twentieth of the whole um, uh, city of Maple Grove um, that belongs to Wyzetta Schools, and the rest is in uh, in the Osseo School District. Um, And 70% of the new home construction occurs in the Wyzetta Schools area. So it, you know, he just, um, Mr. Wilford pointed out that School districts that are facing, or cities are facing major challenges because um, 
that means that lower property values mean higher taxes or reduced services and amenities, uh, residential development. Um, there are challenges there because the growth occurs more rapidly and readily in high um, high performing school districts, which have those options. And so, um, it was uh, a, a very good um, uh, conversation with our legislators. Uh, we uh, have a video that we present. Um, it can be found on Schools for Equity in Education's uh, website. Uh, the pizza video, and it, it talks about the inequitable fundings. We start with that. Uh, we have a presentation from uh, our Big Lake City Administrator this year, and then a board member spoke. Uh, this year it was Bob Sansevier from um, Buffalo Hanover Montrose School District and talk about the impact that it's having on school districts. And then um, we had a uh, STMA uh, high school senior, uh, Emma Cliff, speak. And so really we're focusing on, on you know, funding equity. And then we also talked about uh, the funding of school districts. And this year the, uh, the state is going to experience a $7.7 billion um, uh, surplus, and that's fantastic. Um, at that meeting, we heard that it's uh, more than likely going to be over $8 billion surplus. So with those funds, we've been talking about fully funding special education. Um, it's called a cross-subsidy. means that um, school districts are underfunded um, every year, and you have to take the amount out of out of your general fund instead of being um, uh, accommodated or paid. And, and there was a commitment made by the federal government and the state recognizing the, that there are additional costs for special education students. Well, in the state of Minnesota, that's $800 million annually. And for uh, BHM schools, um, it means that we're underfunded in special education uh, around $5 million on an annual basis. Um, so we're asking that they they um, address uh, cross-subsidy, and I'll be honest with you, we've been asking that since um, I became a superintendent 20 years ago. Uh, they just don't uh, address it, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger in this gap. So we're asking for cross-subsidy to be uh, addressed, and then every year uh, the general ed uh, funding formula for education um, is only increased at the end of the legislative session. We never know until, and most times we won't even know until June because it seems like they go into a special uh, special session every year um, that they're that they're in uh, in in session. Um, and what ends up happening is, by law, school districts have to pass and um, and adopt a budget. The school board has to adopt a budget. By June 30th, well, it, it, when the um, legislature is in, a, you know, hadn't completed their their business by the middle of May, um, then they call a special session, and now we're into June. So um, districts uh, will make cuts and uh, unnecessarily because we never know. We have to be cautious. We don't know what the the dollar amount will be, and we always work on. Um, a budget that's based on how many students um, walk across 
the threshold and through the doors. And we make predict, uh, projections, but, w- you know, we're pretty good at it over the years, but it's based on that information. And so um, we're also asking that the general education funding formula be increased automatically at the rate of inflation every year. So there won't be any guessing. We know what the CPI is, and we'll know what um, what to budget off of. We still have to guess on how many students will be here, but at least we won't guess on the amount that um, that the general education fund will be. So that was um, a long overview, Tim. I don't know if you have any questions from what I talked about. Well, I think it's you know it's kind of you know, been a topic that's as you said come up many times before. So it's uh, just kind of the latest latest version of something that's been going on for a long time. Yeah, and. We, and there's a little bit of frustration is that we have an $8 billion, that's what I'm hearing, is it's going to be over $8 billion. And we're still, people aren't recognizing that the commitments were made in 1975 for the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act still hasn't been paid for. And um, it has an impact um, on school districts and students. So, um I don't, it, it, we'll see what happens out of this legislative session. We're hopeful um, in asking for them to address these uh, issues that are, are plaguing school districts. And, and when they take a look at uh, the rate of inflation over the years, uh, school districts are, are about $1,500 uh, a pupil below what inflation is. In, in the funding, and they go back. Uh, there's charts that come out of Minnesota Department of Education and um, can track that um, back to the um, the 90s. So um, even when you go to the 2000, you know, we're 22 years away, and it just has not kept up with inflation. So um, it, it was a, a good, informative legislative forum, but we'll, we're hoping that uh, something can be done in the future. Buffalo Hanover Montrose Superintendent, Dr. Scott Thielman, our guest on Spotlight here today. We've got several more topics that we're going to have to kind of rip through here. I know the COVID situation, boy, it just doesn't, uh, you know, every time we think that we've got it licked, it uh, kind of rears up again. It it seems like there's something that uh, happens um, every uh, few months. And um, three, four months, all of a sudden, some new variation comes up, and we had just regular COVID, and um, and then we had another strain, and now it's Omicron, and um, now I'm hearing it might be Omicron 2. This is Omicron 1. Um, but in our district, we've had uh, eight, and we have a dashboard. Anybody can look at it at bhmschools.org. Um, we have 873 confirmed cases as of last Thursday, we updated every Thursday, and we've had 195 staff members with confirmed cases. And, um, you know, it impacts um, our students, teachers, staff, and parents. And um, the CDC shortened the quarantine to five days, and we've gone with that recommendation um, and, and are utilizing that. But we still need su- uh, substitutes. And uh, we had that issue last year. Um, and um, it it is it is tough because our teachers are covering uh, prep 
uh, and uh, during their prep periods, uh, covering other classrooms. Um, and so I encourage uh, anybody in our community and listening, if you know someone that's substituted in the past, we need substitutes. Our uh, daily rate of pay is $150 a day. If, um, if somebody uh, substitutes 20 days, it doesn't have to be consecutive. But if they sub uh, 20 days, um, that rate goes to $160 a day. And um, if they sub 40 days, uh, that jumps to 170 And then if uh, they've substituted for 60 days, it jumps to $180 a day. So um, I, our rate is uh, probably the best in the area. And I just want to put it out there that if there are people who are listening that know or do sub, um, we'd love to have you help us in our, in our school. A couple of things to observe this month, Black History Month and I Love to Read Month. Yes, we have um, uh, Black History Month starts today. Uh, I Love to Read Month starts today. I know uh, in the past we've had readers in classrooms. I don't know, you know, with COVID how, how uh, we're restricting still some visitors. But uh, if you have an interest in that, please contact our schools. Um, second semester began uh, yesterday. Um, so the high school students um, uh, reset their schedules and are uh, beginning that um, this week um, or yesterday. And then uh, in February, we begin uh, our parent conferences again, and they start on Thursday at Northwinds. Um, just to remind uh, folks that there's a remote or a virtual option Sometimes people take up uh, take on that uh, for convenience of not having to um, head into the school at, after supper or whatever it happens to be, um, and can do it virtually with the teacher. And we're uh, encouraging that too. It's for convenience sake. They don't have to wait in the hallways. They they come on on uh, a Google Meet uh, platform and they can have a one-on-one with their teacher. So that starts on Thursday at Northwinds and then all next week and the week after, um, actually the whole month of, of February. Um, and then um, we start to have the, um, the kindergarten registration uh, begins this month. Uh, Discovery Kindergarten Lottery is on uh, February 8th. And then um, I believe our first kindergarten registration night is um, besides Discovery, is um, at Montrose in, on uh, February 15th. So um, President's Day um, on February 21st, uh, there's no school. As a reminder, and um, you can take a look at our calendar and you can see all of the different events. Um, daylight saving starts um, on February 13th. I'm not a big fan of daylight savings, but um, <laughs> that starts uh, on February 13th. And I think I'll just wrap it up with um, um, a, a recognition of uh, February 9th, uh, 2021, and the horrific. Um, uh, you know, uh, shooting at uh, a line of crossroads and that, that tragic event. Um, there's um, a community um, 
event uh, with Buffalo Strong that was com- uh, completed um, or started um, right as um, as um, after that horrific event occurred, and they have uh, resiliency um, uh, resources, and they're going to have a commemorative um, um, event on uh, February 9th. It'll be a resource fair, and this will occur at uh, Buffalo High School. And then after um, that resource fair, will start at 6 p.m. At 7 p.m., um, they have a, a great uh, um, guest speaker, um, the um, Clint um, uh, Malarchuk, um, uh, former NHL go, um, goalie. Struggled with uh, PTSD, depression, mental health, and uh, suicide, and um, just we'll talk about how to uh, navigate that and um, and um, help yourself and have others help each other um, if they are struggling. And um, there's a Buffalo Strong uh, website, and I encourage folks to take a look at that and join us on February 9th. Um, next week at um, at the high school next Wednesday. Should be an interesting event. I talked with uh, other officials uh, with not only the city, but uh, the Buffalo Chamber and and other groups. And, you know, we've, we've kind of come to the conclusion, too, that, uh, you know, we're really kind of proud that um, certainly there's, uh, you know, anger and certainly there's, um, you know, a lot of different emotions that run with the commemoration of one year of that event. But it takes a lot for the community to say, you know what, we're not going to, we're not going to let that spin us in a direction, you know, that we is going to be counterproductive to the whole thing. And so it's, it's really good that they are, you know, using the time to, while somberly, you know, remembering what happened, but at the same time, trying to do the best we can to, to understand you know, sometimes what uh, people are going through. And so hopefully that'll shed a little light on that. Yes, um, that's a great point. And I, you know, I I was thinking that you were talking to other folks. Um, and um, I, um, I just wanted to put another um, plug in for the event uh, next Wednesday on the 9th. And, sure. Um, it, it, Reminds me of the efforts that uh, Dr. Corey Martin had uh, initiated with the Bounce Back Project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All of those uh, resiliency um, activities and um, things that we can do for ourselves to help us move forward. For sure. All right. Well, Scott, it's always nice to talk with you. And uh, if we don't see each other or talk before, we'll um, talk to you again here in early March. Yes, sir. Okay. Thanks, Thanks. District 877 Superintendent Dr. Scott Tillman, our guest on our Tuesday Spotlight on KRWC.